Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, who's excited to celebrate Easter this weekend at church? Hey, thank you to everybody watching online, our EFAM, wherever you're watching from. We love you, and we're glad that you're here with us. And whether maybe you haven't been to church in a while and you're here this morning, or maybe you've been coming to church uh, every week for years, I just want to say you're at the right place at the right time, and God loves you exactly where you are. But he also loves you too much to let you stay there. God has a next step on your faith journey. And my prayer for you is that this Sunday, God will speak to you, lead you, and reveal to you what that next step is to follow after him, to follow Jesus and and walk with Jesus. Well, we're going to start this morning in the Gospel of John and John chapter 30. John is telling us about the resurrection and that we're going to read two verses starting at verse 30. It says this, it says, Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. So God has signs that he shows to reveal who he is. Have you ever asked God for a sign? And I think if anyone this week was like driving around town thinking, God, if you're real, give me a sign. And you saw a family church Easter sign that's like still standing after all these windy days. (laughs) Like if that's not a sign, you need to go to church on Easter. I don't know what it is. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so that you, so that you, you will believe, believe what? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in that act of believing, you would have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. And so we're going to dig into this question today. And the question is this, how did Jesus personally reveal and demonstrate real and eternal life. Now, I don't want you just thinking about heaven, because sometimes we hear that term eternal life, and we go, oh, that's heaven. How did Jesus demonstrate real and eternal life? Eternal life starts the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, and you are made new. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these minutes and moments that we share, and Lord, I pray that each person under the sound of my voice, that you, your Holy Spirit, will reveal and demonstrate the real and eternal life that you have, that you desire for each one of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, have you ever watched The Office? The Office was on for nine seasons, but some people don't count the seasons after Michael Scott left the show because they weren't really funny anymore. But I remember my freshman year in the dorms, Thursday nights were office nights. So we would pile into one of the guys' rooms and everybody would cram in there and, and we would have office night and we would watch The Office on Thursday nights and we watched it live like with the commercials and all, like no streaming, no fast forwarding like on DVR, just watching it live. I'm just aging myself here for, for some of you younger folks. And Thursday nights were The Office night, but my wife still loves The Office. In fact, at the end of the day, when she wants to decompress, like after work, like after the kids are to bed, she just pulls up an old episode of The Office that she's already seen five or six times, and she still laughs as hard as she watched it for the first time. Now, not me. I, I want to watch like a docu-series. Like, is there a new 30 for 30 we can watch? But she's like, no, give me The Office another time. And I think that one of the reasons why the people love The Office so much is because you could relate to the quirky characters and personalities that were on the show. So so we all live in a workplace. We all have a workplace where we work with people that are a little bit uh, Dwight-ish, for example. (laughs) 
Another reason I think people liked the show is because uh, the show was filmed in what we call mockumentary style. And mockumentary means like there would be a scene and then it would cut to an interview like of Jim talking about the scene. And it was almost a way to like peel back the curtain because we all love the behind the scenes. Kind of like this. So are you vaccinated in the morning? Oh, um, I don't know how to explain. I don't have a ton of contact with this branch, but before I left, I took a box of Dwight's stationery. So from time to time, I send Dwight faxes from himself, from the future. Dwight, at 8 a.m. today, someone poisons the coffee. Do not drink the coffee. More instructions will follow. Jim's interview took behind the scenes, and the truth is this, we love behind the scenes. If there was a behind the scenes of your favorite music group or artist or your favorite sports teams, you would probably say, give me that documentary now. I want to know behind the scenes. Take me behind the curtain when the lights are off, when the makeup's gone, when the show's over. Like, give me the real, the authentic, because there's something that's like, we really want to know the real thing. And that's exactly what John is doing with these two verses in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John. He's in the middle of telling the resurrection story. He's going to go on in chapter 21 to tell us how Jesus appeared to the disciples and Jesus' conversation with Peter. And he stops at this mid-climactic point of the Gospel of John, and he turns down the lights, and he looks directly at the camera, and he's saying, I'm writing directly to you, the reader. And he says, God provided far more signs. But the, the whole point of why I'm writing this down And so that you would believe, well, believe what, John? That Jesus is the Messiah. Not that you would believe that Jesus was a teacher. Not that you would believe that Jesus was a a, a person that changed the earth and and he was a historical figure. Not that you would believe that he was a good man or a moral standard, but that you would believe he is the Messiah. What's the Messiah? The Messiah is the son of the living God. The Messiah is sent down from heaven, because here is the reality. God is perfect, God is holy, God is just. Because he is perfect and holy and just, man is separated from him because man is imperfect and fallen and broken and sinful. Since God is holy and just and man is imperfect, we cannot be with God, we cannot be in his presence. We needed a mediator, we needed a way to access God. And so that was, well, that's the Christmas story, isn't it? When Jesus came to earth, when the Messiah came to earth, moved into the neighborhood, put on flesh and skin and bones, when he lived a perfect life, when he went to the cross and he conquered the grave, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says like this, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin, he became our sin so that we, by believing in him, putting our faith in him, could become the righteousness of God. So now we have a mediator. So when God sees us, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your failures. If your belief and faith is in Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Jesus which gives us eternal life that starts now when we put our faith in him. And I'm preaching better on Easter than you're responding. That's the good news. That's the good news. So that you will believe that he's the Messiah. And in believing, you would have real and eternal life. And I have three observations this morning that I want to share with you. And I want to look at the life of Jesus. And then I want to look at the death of Jesus. And then I want to look at the resurrection of Jesus. And in these observations of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we will see how how Jesus demonstrated real 
and eternal life. Let's start with his birth. When Jesus comes to birth, there could have been any number of ways. He's God. He could have came to earth in any fashion he wanted to, yet he comes in very humble circumstances to a lowly family in a city without a great reputation, a lowly city, and he's born in a, in a barn, and he's put in an animal trough. We watch him be born. Well, what does this tell us about God, that this is how he chooses to, to reveal himself? This is how he chooses to come to earth, to a, a lowly family in a lowly city in a, in a, in a barn in an animal trough. We watch him live. We watch Jesus grow up, and we really don't know a lot about Jesus growing up. We see him when he's 12, and then we really don't see him again until he's 30. But Luke 2.52 does tell us this. It says, as Jesus grew, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we know that Jesus had the favor of God on his life. And we know that he had the favor of man on his life as well. And I want to tell you, you know, growing up, one thing I remember about my mom is my mom prayed this verse over us boys every single night. I've had this verse prayed over my life thousands of times. You know, sometimes people will see me or see my brother Colin or see my brother Zach, and they'll think like, they'll see my folks, like, how, how did you get so, where did your height come from? Grew in stat, I, mom prayed this over me. God answered this prayer. I was 6'4 when I was in eighth grade. I thought for sure I was going to be like 6'10 and go D1. <laughs> and then I never grew another inch. I was one of those peaked in middle school type guys. Now, I could tell you story after story of how this prayer has been answered, of how God's favor has been on my life. And the wisdom, well, that just took a while. I think it's starting to get there. Parents, can I tell you to pray for your kids? Pray for your kids. I'm living proof that God answers the prayer of parents over their children's life. Pray for your kids. Grandparents, pray for your grandkids. Pray for God's favor. Pray for God's protection. Pray for God's provision. Pray for God's blessing. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be on their life. God will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer. We see Jesus at age 30, and uh, we see him again for his first miracle, and it's rather, it's rather unexpected. It's at a wedding. And we see at this wedding that Jesus actually has no plans to perform a miracle. Jesus is only there to celebrate with his friends and family and just uh, enjoy a joyous occasion and celebrate. We know that he has no plans to do a miracle because when his mom says, Jesus, they've ran out of wine, Jesus says, not, not now, mom. I'm only here to just have a good time and celebrate with my friends and family. I have no plans of doing a miracle. Let's just enjoy the night together. You know, sometimes religious folks can get a little wound tight over Easter. It's not about bunnies. It's not about candy. It's not about egg hunts. We don't got time for that. This is about Jesus and resurrection power. Maybe you could relax. Put a couple peeps in the microwave. Take a picture with the Easter bunny. Just have a little cookout and enjoy some good food with friends and family. Jesus did. At that wedding, he had no plans to do a miracle, but how many of you know moms can be persuasive? I expected a little bigger amen from the guys, but I understand why you didn't. And uh, Jesus, of course, we know what he does. He turns the water into wine or maybe grape juice, depending on what denomination you grew up in. Church jokes. <laughs> and they bring it to the host of the party and they, 
think you do pinkies up when you drink wine, don't you? I don't know. I'm not a wine drinker. And they said, what vintage is this? Where did this come from? It's his first miracle. It starts his three-year journey of miracle after miracle, teaching after teaching, revealing he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. As we watch the life of Jesus, we watch him live, we see who he moved towards. Jesus moved towards children. In antiquity, children were not seen as real people. They were often degraded. They were often abused. They were often abandoned. Today in our culture, thankfully, we value the lives of children. We protect our children because of the treasure that they are. But in antiquity, that was not the case. Children were looked down upon. And one time, there's a meet and greet, and, the, and all the parents are saying, hey, go, go, go sit on Jesus's lap. Tell him about your hopes and dreams, and, and, and let him put his hands on you, and let him bless you. And the disciples say, what, what is this? Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a daycare. Please have some respect for the teacher, for the rabbi. And Jesus says, what did you say? No, 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 no. Let the children come to me. Matthew 19, 14 says it like this. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. If you don't become childlike, you'll never experience the kingdom of heaven. We watch him live. We watch, him, we watch his life. He's, he has an eye towards, he moves towards the children. who society says, pushes to the side. He moves towards women who were certainly second-class citizens and had no property rights or no legal rights. In fact, one time we hear a story of a woman that was brought before Jesus. She was naked, perhaps wrapped in a sheet. She had been caught in the act of sleeping with someone that wasn't her husband. And there are grown men surrounding her, ready to kill her on the spot. And Jesus moves towards her and meets her in that moment. And he saves her life. He rescues her. And then he shows her a path forward, a path of healing, a path of change. Have you ever blown it so bad that there's so much regret and everything looks like it's destroyed around you and you don't see a path forward? Jesus moves towards you. He's a miracle. He can move towards you and he can rescue you and he can show you a path forward when it seems like even if you don't deserve one. That's the miracle working God that we serve. We watch him live. He moves towards the hurting. He moves towards the broken. He moves towards the outcast. In fact, People watching his life, you know what they said about Jesus as they watched him live? They said, why do you hang around sinners and bad people as if there are any other kinds of people? Mark 2, 17, Jesus said this. He said, when he heard this, is what they were saying about him, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We watch them live. We watch them live. And let it, as we watch them live, as you read the scriptures, as you, as you read the Bible and you watch them live, let it provoke, let it move your heart to behave in the same way, to serve the people in your life, to move towards the hurting in your circle, to have a heart to care for those in your path. We could go on and on but since we only have two more hours, let's go on to, <laughs> let's watch him die. Let's watch him go to the cross. And the, in the hours before going to the cross, he is betrayed by one of his closest friends. Have you ever been betrayed? That sting doesn't go away easily. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Also in the hours going to the cross, he, he asks his closest friends, you know, those 
those people that he could really count on. He said, please pray with me. I'm in such anguish in my heart. And his closest friends fell asleep. He felt abandoned by his closest friends. Have you ever felt abandoned? He goes to the cross and we know that he was whipped 39 times and the flesh was ripped out of his skin as he was whipped time after time. We know that he was beaten. We know that they put a crown of thorns on his head. We know that we put the nails in his hands and in his feet. And men that he created nailed him to the cross, a piece of wood that he created with a spoken word. And as he was hanging on that cross, people were passing by and they were mocking him, laughing at him. And they said, you're supposed to be the Messiah. This is the miracle worker we've heard about. What a joke, Jesus. If you were really powerful, you could bring yourself down right now, but you are nothing. And as they were mocking him and as they were laughing at him, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said this, and this should shake you. He said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus, it sure seemed to me like they knew what they were doing. Yet what was in the heart of God? It was forgiveness. It was forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You know who I love hanging around? I love being around people that have been forgiven because people that have been forgiven, great, they got a soft heart. They're not easily offended. They're full of love. They're full of compassion. They're full of forgiveness to, to everybody around them. Now, I'm so grateful to share the message this Easter. This is my first Easter ever preaching in a church. But you know what? I've shared one Easter message before. I'm a prison volunteer. I go into Lansing Correctional, and I do Bible studies, and I meet with guys in, 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 in Lansing. And I shared an Easter message at Lansing one time to a Bible study. And you know what? It was full of a room of guys that had been forgiven. They went to prison, and in the lowest moments, when they hit rock bottom, you know what they did? They put their faith in Jesus. And when everyone else had abandoned them. You know what they found? They found the forgiveness of the Father, and they were full of the Holy Spirit and the, the hunger in that room for the things of God. Oh, it was inspiring. You want, want to know why? Because they've been forgiven much. There's so much forgiveness and love in their heart. Forgiveness, that's such a powerful force. There's fewer forces on earth more powerful than forgiveness. What would it look like if everyone in your family forgave? What would it look like if you forgave that person that you need to forgive? I know they don't deserve it. When it comes to forgiveness, deserves got nothing to do with it. It's got everything to do with have you experienced the Father's forgiveness and do you want to walk in freedom? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. As we look at Jesus on the cross, I want to share this quote with you. It says this. It says, before we understand what the cross does for us, we have to understand the cross is what." we did to Jesus. It was our sin that put him there. Jesus took the whipping, yes. Jesus took the crown of thorns, yes. Jesus took the nails, yes. But he took one more thing. He took my sin. Because I was the one that deserved that condemnation. He took our sin and he took our shame. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could God forgive his son Jesus? It's because Jesus took our sin. And he had to be separated from the sin because God is perfect. And Jesus took our sin and he was forsaken by God so that you would never be forsaken by God, so that you could have a relationship with him. It was our sin, it was our guilt, it was our shame. You know, some of you, you have your sins forgiven, but you 
you're still walking around carrying shame. You know, a lot of folks, you, uh, you kind of put a guard up. You don't want people to get to know you too much because you feel like, you know, the, the more people get to know me, I'm afraid they're going to like me less. Because you, well, you know your worst mistakes. And you know what you've done. And you know what that is? That's, that's, that's shame. And you were never meant to carry the burden of shame. We go back to the story of Genesis and Adam and Eve. It said Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame. God's original design for his human creation for you and me is that we would never know the burden of shame. But yet we, we mess up and we carry it and it weighs really heavy on our shoulders. And we start walking with a limp because it's so heavy. And the people closest to us, they know that something's different, but we just don't know We don't know how to get freedom from it. But the cross, the cross does give freedom from shame. The cross, Jesus took our sin and he took our shame. And I want you to commit this verse to memory. Romans 8.1 says this. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. That means no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. That literally means God became our condemnation and he became our shame so that we could be set free from every single moment. You know what? I, did, I sure did mess up. I sure did fall. And before I fell, Jesus had already died to cover my sin. So I can step into freedom. I am not what I did. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus when I put my faith in him. And I might have to wake up and I might have to remind myself every single morning that I am free and Christ has set free and who Christ has free is free indeed but I'm gonna remind myself every morning if I have to. Because if you don't get free of that shame, you will stay in this place of weighed down and burdened. But the cross frees you from shame. And you know what happens when you get free? You know what happens when Jesus lifts that shame off your shoulders? You can step into the freedom that God has for you. You can step into the healing. You can step into the purpose that God has for you. Oh, God has a bigger purpose for your life than you could ever imagine, more than you could ask or think or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says, God has planned for those that love him. Oh, he wants to free you from that shame. Don't be held. Don't be weighed down by that shame any longer. You can let that shame, you can let Jesus lift that shame off your shoulders today. And I hope that you do. We watch him die. And then lastly, we we watch him come back to life. The climactic conclusion of the story. You know, if I was God, always a dangerous thing for the pastor to say. But if I was God and I'm coming back to life, I'm gonna show up to Caesar and I'm gonna show up to the Colosseum so 50,000 people can see me. Or maybe I'll go to Pilate, to Pilate's palace because Pilate was the one that sentenced me to that. So I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna be like, Pilate, guess what? I'm back. Like Michael Jordan coming back from baseball, I'm back. But what does Jesus do? He appears to, to wait, to Mary Magdalene? Mary, Mary, you know, woman, uh, they, they're seen as not, they can't even testify in court. You're going to appear to Mary Magdalene? Did you think this through, God? God, Mary Magdalene doesn't even have a good reputation. Why are you going to appear to her? Because I love her. Because I love her. Jesus, he appears to Mary Magdalene first. Shortly after that, the disciples are locked in a room, and the disciples are locked. You know why the door's locked? because they're afraid they're going to be crucified next. The disciples are terrified, and they're hiding in a locked room, and Jesus just walks through. Jesus just comes in. But you know, there was one person who wasn't there. He was out getting the hummus. And he comes back, and they're celebrating. He's like, why are you celebrating? We got nothing to celebrate, because everything's over and done. 
And this is John 20, 25. So the other disciples told him, they told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Jesus was in his resurrected body on earth for just a few weeks. And you know what he does? He goes out of his resurrected way to appear to one person who says, I will not believe. What does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about the heart of our father? One week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then John wrote 29 for you. He wrote verse 29 for you. He said this. He said, then Jesus told him, words of Christ, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe? If you do, you're blessed. That's the words of Jesus to you this morning. That's me. I believe in a resurrected king. What about you? If you're here on Easter Sunday and you're thinking, you know, I, I don't know about all this. I don't blame you. That's not a bad thing. You're just being honest. And you're thinking, I know what the pastor tries to do here. In just a few moments, he's going to say, say a prayer, ask Jesus into your heart. Well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my pain. You don't know my walk. And it's going to take a lot more than one little prayer for my life to change and for me to believe all this. So nice job, guy up there on the stage. You were kind of funny, but it wasn't good enough for me. Now, the truth is this. I can't make you do anything. I certainly can't convince you that Jesus is the Messiah who he said he was. But you know, I got a sense that if Jesus can show up to Mary Magdalene and Jesus can show up to Doubting Thomas, then he can show up in your life. And in the coming days... He's going to choose that he can personally reveal real and eternal life to you because I believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is still showing up. I uh, grew up in church, and uh, there was a lot of time where it was a head knowledge for me. And it took a, took a little bit to get to my heart. There was a season in my life where I thought I could find my own happiness and I searched for my own happiness. And uh, I thought I could find a lot of happiness in Las Vegas. So I went to Vegas a lot. And you know what? You can find happiness in Vegas for a few minutes. But as I was spending money I didn't have and I was getting caught up in addictions that were bringing heartbreak to me, I learned a hard lesson that if you always get what you want, you end up where you don't want to be. Because my selfish actions hurt the people closest to me. And so my lifestyle got me broken and lonely and depressed. And I didn't see a path forward. Like I thought I had just blown in. I didn't know how to start over from scratch. In fact, I thought that everything would be better if I wasn't around. And from that rock bottom place, I put my 
faith, like my whole trust in Jesus. And God brought redemption into my life. God rescued me from the pit and sent me on a rock. God brought purpose into my life. God brought blessing into my life. God brought me so many blessings that I know that I don't deserve. It's just the hand of God. It's just the blessing that that God brings into your life when you put your trust in him. And here's the truth. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe you are putting your full trust in Jesus or maybe you're at rock bottom. The wonderful thing about the redemptive work of, of Christ and the work of the finished work of the cross is it doesn't matter if you need a second chance or a third chance or a 70th chance. It's the same Jesus that can save you and that can bring you purpose and that can put you forward into freedom starting today. That's the God that we serve. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Because if God is God, he can show up in your life. And he can show you in a personal way the real and eternal life that he has for you. That's what we're counting on as a church. With the power of Christ within us, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is alive and active here at Family Church. Oh, there's nothing more important in the world today. It's eternal impact. We're seeing lives changed for Jesus. I believe in the power of Jesus. I believe he is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I believe his mercies are new every single morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit in me gives me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do you believe Would you take that Connect card that you have on your chair? I'm going to ask you to check a box, and there's four options. There's A, B, C, and D. A is, I already know God personally. Say, I've experienced that forgiveness. I've experienced that freedom you're talking about, and I am so thankful, and I'm thankful that you're here today and that we're going to be forever together forever in, in heaven, and I'm so thankful for everybody checking box A, that you have a real relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're checking box B. You're saying, I need that forgiveness. I want forgiveness from sin. I want the freedom from shame. I want a new start with Jesus. I want a fresh start. I believe, and that's what I want, that eternal life. Maybe you're checking box B this morning. The angels are celebrating anytime someone that makes decision. Maybe you're here and you're gonna check box C, and you're saying, I wanna consider more what God wants to do in my life. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being here and thank you for being honest. I believe in my prayer for you is that in the coming moments, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, God is going to reveal to you personally real and eternal life. Or maybe you're gonna check box D and you're just gonna say, I don't, I don't think I'm ever gonna get there. And if you're checking box D, I'm so glad you're at church. I appreciate you being honest and you know what? You've probably had some really hard things happen in your life and I'm sorry. If I've been through all you've been through, I don't know where I'd be. But I do know this, no matter where you're at, God can meet you right there. And I'm going to pray for you too. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these minutes and moments we share. We thank you for new life on Easter Sunday. Lord, for all of 
those checking boxes today, Lord, I pray that you will strengthen them, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit, and that we will walk in the lives that you have for us. Lord, for those checking box B, we celebrate. The angels in heaven celebrate, and we thank you for new life. We thank you for a fresh start. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that you are lifting that shame off of our shoulders that we can look forward to complete forgiveness and healing and freedom in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those that are checking box C. Lord, I thank you that they're here today. I thank you that they, that they want to know more and that just like you met Doubting Thomas right where he is, Lord, I pray that in the coming days that you will meet them and that you will in their life personally reveal to them that you are the Messiah and that you have real eternal life planned for them. And Lord, I pray for D. Lord, that you will bring healing. Lord, that you will draw near to them and that in a personal way, you will reveal real and eternal life in their circumstances in their life. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here on Easter Sunday. Before you leave, we would love for you to get a family picture uh, at our photo op, but we're just so thankful that you celebrated Easter with us. Like dad and mom said, next week we're starting a new series called Firm Foundation. You know, there was a story that Jesus told of two people that went to church. One built his house on a sand, one built his house on a rock. What was the difference between the two? Because we know what happened to the house on the sand. When the storms of life came, it collapsed. The difference, Jesus said, was they both went to church, they both heard, but to get on the firm foundation, you do what it says. We want you to have your house on a firm foundation so it can weather all of the storms that life brings your way. So we would love to see you back here next week for Firm Foundation. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you next time.